<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi, welcome to Stand Up, Speak Up, a podcast that speaks about issues that are getting swept under the rug. We talk about things like human trafficking, bullying, mental illness, homelessness, and today we're going to be talking about something a little different. We're going to be talking about serial killers and serial killers who write poetry. I'm your host, Carla Stevens-Tolstoy, and this is reminding you to stand up and speak up for what you believe in. On Stand Up Speak Up, we often talk about inspiring stories and overcoming obstacles. And one of the obstacles we're going to talk about today is what happens when evil wins? What happens when someone has such dark demons that they can't overcome them? They don't get the right help. They don't ask for the right help. They're beyond help. So what happens? It's a conversation that I think is important to have for this podcast series because we, we do deal with a lot of difficult subjects that talk about people doing really horrendous things to another person, whether that's mental, physical, emotional abuse, whether that's trafficking someone, bullying someone. And so, okay, what happens if those inner demons of that abuser like just never go away and they actually escalate into committing crime. And I do find serial killers, sociopaths fascinating in kind of a morbid curiosity way because it, it, it amazes me that they lack all emotion and that they have no moral compass. And I think that's also why perhaps many of us are drawn to the criminal podcast. There's quite a few. I'm a big fan of many of them. The investigative shows. I, I think that as a culture, as a, as a community, we are interested in the dark side. Sociopaths or psychopaths or however we want to refer to them actually write and publish poetry. I know that shouldn't really be surprising, but I think what's surprising is they actually reveal their inner demons. You know, they're exposing an element of themselves. It's maybe poetry is like one of their therapy they use to try to figure it out. So when you read their or hear their poetry, there is an element of self-awareness. 
And I was listening to a recent podcast, um, a UK podcast that I, I really enjoy. And he was talking about a, a killer, Carl Landau, that had actually killed a woman that he met on a dating site and then had sex with their corpse. But it was a pretty gruesome murder. But he also wrote poetry. And he has a blog called An Ordinary Decent Human. And immediately I was like, okay, I have to go read this blog. I have to see if I could have foreseen, you know, acting a little bit off, a little odd. But he was, well, he, he was, I mean, I guess he still would be good looking and intelligent. I don't think it would have screamed to me that he's going to murder someone and then have sex with their corpse and do it in such a gory manner. So I am going to read um, one of his poems. It's called Ego. Confidence can be confused, leaving the beholder bemused. As to why they're not accepted as part of a team, they're not selected. Their visions, plans, and efforts are challenged by those aware they consider themselves superior, usually compared to the simplest of criteria. The smallest of accomplishments feed their ever-growing ego. All whom they encounter, they feel compelled to tell just how great they are and what they sell. These people are the worst. If only they realize they're not blessed, but in fact cursed. With an ego, everything's a race. If only this wasn't the case, the world would be a better place and life would lead at a less volatile pace. The incessant need to glorify one's ability only ever breeds hostility. There's nothing wrong with competition, yet when conflict becomes repetition, it's always someone else's ego on the line. Such a great threat is never fine. Defending their pride, it's been known to the death. They become so ignorant to the fact they're wasting their breath. Superficial exchanges, the never-ending battle of fire against fire. Acceptance, they're better being their only desire. We've all fallen victim. We've all made it a priority. If only we could see the light, it would be one incredible society. Langle strangled Katie, locked to death before having sex with her corpse in a hotel room on Christmas Eve last year. The 26-year-old, who met his victim through the dating website, was jailed for a minimum for 26 years last week for her murder. Police today release a video of an interview officers conducted with him the day after the murder. In the video, a female police officer refers to a conversation Langle had with his mother in which he confessed to killing Katie and calls himself a monster. She said, your mom says that you told her I've killed her mom. Is that true? Langle doesn't reply but appears to acknowledge that he killed history teacher Katie, 23. The police officer continues and she questions that and you say, no mom, honestly I've killed her. I'm a monster. Why do you think that? What's going on in your head? 
What makes you think you're a monster? Lango fails to reply and the police officer continues to say to her, Don't cry over me, I'm a monster, I'm a psychopath. So after I read Carl's, I got curious about serial killers and poetry, and is there a way that we could, I don't know, uncover, learn more about someone that has done such horrific crimes through their poetry? And would it, is it a confessional for them, or would it have been, you know, could we have foreseen? And then, you know, kind of coincidentally, you know, a Toronto nurse was accused of killing eight of her patients. And she actually wrote poetry. And her poetry is pretty revealing. It's almost very confessional. And this was actually a local. I'm from the Toronto area. She's from the Toronto area. It's still under investigation. They're still exhuming the the bodies of her past patients so they can see um, you know, really what the number is. And people considered her a very happy-go-lucky person. She had pets. She loved them. She was a quiet neighbor. But at the same time, she did have addiction issues. I mean, there was something, like her behavior was really off in the last few years. So it just tells you how well someone can kind of hide their, like, probably some sociopathic tendencies. So here is one of her poems, and I find this one quite disturbing. She watches some life drain from the notch in his neck vein. As it soothingly pools, it smothers her pain. Sweet stiletto so sharp, craves another cut. Obeying a call, she moves to his gut. Blade traces a line from navel to spine, grating on rib bones, slicing intestine. Her knife sings a love song to the splattering gore, slicing through breastbone, romancing some more. Heartbeats then sprays as the next victim pays her deaf dagger's bill. Does it quench her crave? Sharp thirst recedes as she dances in blood. Satisfied for now, no longer a flood. The macabre waltz ended. Her desire has been tended by drinking the death brew that her passion blended. All others are safe from obsession's greed until she hears again from her knife and her need. It's not hard to figure out that this poem is about murder, right? I mean, when you hear that, you're like, whoa, this is about murder. And she recognizes her thirst for murder is only temporarily fixed. Here's part of another poem she wrote. He's on his bald, sculpted, emancipated, tortured bed. I mean, that seems pretty like that's talking about a hospital bed. And then she goes on to say, all my life is measured by intravenous drips. I yearn for the ghost of a touch that was never conceived. My life has no birth of passion. But now it is death to all and everything, even to how I wish I had given in. She's touching on quite a few subjects here, and she went under a different name for her poetry. So it's not like you could have looked up your caregiver, your 
your parents' nurse and found these poems? Because that would have raised concern. You would have been like, whoa, like this is like a nurse that works in a, a senior's nursing home. We're starting to get a better sense of who the accused is. Uh, she was a long-time nurse, seemed to be proud of her work, which made today's arrest all the more shocking to those that knew her. That seemed to be a normal, everyday person. She would come down, walk her dog, and the dog would come up and we'd talk. People at this Woodstock apartment building are struggling to process the news. The woman they called Beth was charged today with eight counts of first-degree murder. Confused? Really? Really? Just a little bit worried. Elizabeth Tracy May Wetlaufer was registered as a nurse in 1995. Over the last decade, she's worked at nursing and retirement homes across southwest Ontario, from Brantford to London. She most recently secured a steady job with Crescent Care Nursing and Retirement Homes in Woodstock. She seemed to be very thrilled about it. Um, just recently, in the last couple months, she said she got more of a permanent position at a job. Seven of the alleged victims died at that facility. The eighth died at a facility in London. On Wetlaufer's Facebook profile, there are posts about nursing and politics. And last September, one declaring her 365 days clean and sober. Police confirmed the account belongs to Wetlaufer at today's announcement. They would not comment on a possible motive. The criminologists have their theories. We call healthcare killers. Um, Angel of death killers. This expert says healthcare killers are often driven by similar motivations. Some have suggested they have what's known as Mother Teresa syndrome, which is a subvariant of narcissistic personality disorder whereby they develop some delusion of playing God and acting mercifully. I was actually an English major in university. It doesn't give me any more credibility. I wasn't actually a very good student. But I can tell you that one of the things you do study when you're in school is you try to look into the, the soul of the writer and what their mindset was when they were writing this. And this poem really shows that the writer has a real dark side. I mean, she definitely has a lot of demons. And the way she writes about it is almost confessional. Here's part of another one. This very day, I see your eyes in mine like they say. You grip my finger and cross my heart. Your cry echoes all my hopes. This day, in an instant, you truly become mine. I mean, knowing that she kills quite a few people, the last verse takes an even darker meaning. I mean, she really, it is very confessional and very, um, it's almost like she's on a power trip that she has their life in her hands. I mean, she, she probably, in her own eyes, like a godlike figure. Okay, so now I thought we'd talk a little bit about the Zodiac Killer. I mean, one of the most famous killers, movies, documentaries, countless theories. And... There is a theory that he actually carved a poem in a desk at a community college that was about the Cherry Joe Bates murder. I mean, this is total theory. We don't know. It's a very creepy poem. I'll just read a little bit of it so you can kind of hear the creepiness. Sick of living and willing to die, Cut clean, if red clean, blood splurting, dripping, spilling, all over her new dress. Oh well, it was red anyway. 
life draining into an uncertain death. She won't die this time. Someone will find her. Just wait till next time. I mean, it's pretty creepy poem. If it wasn't the Zodiac Killer, <laughs> someone that has a lot of dark thoughts. But as we know, writing dark poetry does not make someone a killer or a sociopath or psychopath. I mean, probably zero 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 one percent of creepy poems is actually done by someone that does that actually acts on their poems. Then there's the BTK killer. That stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. What is what Dennis Lynn Rader did to his 10 victims. So he was an ordinary man living an ordinary life despite his dark secrets. He sent letters to the police, the local news, describing the crimes he committed. And after killing Nancy Fox in 1977, Rader penned this poem. Oh, death to Nancy. What is this that I can see? Cold icy hands taking hold of me. For death has come, you all can see, hell has opened its gates to trick me. O oh, death, O oh, death, O oh, death, can you spare me for another year? I'll stuff your jaws till you can't talk. I'll bind your legs till you can't walk. I'll tie your hands till you can't make a stand. And finally, I'll close your eyes so you can't see. I'll bring sexual death onto you for me. B-T-K. Now that is a really creepy home and it really talks about his sickness and the darkness and it's shocking that he could act like an ordinary person and have these dark thoughts and I think that's what scares us as a as like a community is that like what happens if we can't tell if someone is a psychopath or a sociopath what happens if they're our neighbor or our friend, what happens if we marry someone that's got these tendencies? Mr. Rader, I need to find out more information. On that particular day, the 15th day of January, 1974, can you tell me where you went to kill Mr. Joseph Otero? It's 1834. It's more. All right. Can you tell me approximately what time of day you went there? Uh, somewhere between 7 and 7.30. This particular location, did you know these people? No, that's... Uh, no, that was part of my, uh, I guess, my witch called fantasy. These people were uh, selected. All right, so you... You were engaged in some kind of fantasy during this period of time? Yes, sir, yes, sir. All right, all right. Now, when you use the term fantasy, is this something you were doing for your personal pleasure? Sexual fantasy, sir. I think that's why everyone really took to the Amanda Knox story. Um, I watched the documentary. It was great, by the way. I, I really recommend it. I, I personally think she's she's innocent, and she did get off, so a lot of people thought she was innocent. But there was a quote that I thought really was very insightful. And it was really about why are people scared of Amanda Knox? Like, what scares people about her? And let me just read her quote. So accused killer Amanda Knox said, either I'm a psychopath in sheep's clothing or I am you. I think that's very telling. 
I mean, what scares a person more? That somebody like that looks and acts like Amanda Knox could have been a, a sociopath or the fact that any of us could be wrongly accused and have to go through what she went through. I think that's why it captured the media and it captured all of our attention. And it's kind of in, I thought that was kind of the most insightful quote I've, I've heard from a long time in a, in a documentary. It really made me reflect. interesting article on Slate about why America loves serial killers. And the author is Ron Rosenbaum. And he's written quite a few books and and he studied a lot of serial killers. And he believes all these TV shows, all these movies actually have like created even more serial killers and given them an ideas of what they could do. And every time that we spend money to see a serial killer movie or we watch something on Netflix or I guess listen to this even this episode this podcast and other podcasts we are just feeding the beast is how he he calls it because many experts have said that there's actually more serial killers now than there ever was is that because we understand them more is it because we have more resources on them but apparently it is really almost trendy and when there's a new serial killer that's out it's got a name it's got a marketing it has it's it's, it's an entire branding job and we promote it and support it by loving characters like like Dexter and watching Criminal Minds. And so he believes, you know, if we if we don't write about them as much, talk about them as much, then it won't give new ones ideas. I don't know if there's merit to that, but it probably makes sense to not talk about them as much because it is a very dark subject. And... Maybe it's better if we fill our heads with more happy, joyous, optimistic, sunny topics. But then I would have to change my entire focus of my podcast, my entire focus of my clothing line, <laughs> everything, because my whole purpose is to talk about topics that are usually swept under the rug, because we're going to be talking about really difficult issues and that's going to continue in our podcasts and bringing um, an awareness to what some people could refer to as evil. There is a debate. Is, does evil exist? Is it even the same thing as does, does hell exist? And I don't know. Is there such a thing as evil? I, I don't know. But I think there's something that drives people to want to hurt other people. And I don't know what the accurate word is for just for this sake. I'll say there's a touch of evil. Just a quick interjection. I'm Zach Tolstoy, one of the founders of Stand Up Speak Up. Our podcast is just one part of the Stand Up Speak Up brand. We are supported by an online store of the same name where we sell a variety of artisan products. We have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors and we offer a series of interactive workshops. Throughout the different iterations of Stand Up, Speak Up, 
our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes, organizations, and groups that we're passionate about and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, we created this workshop featuring videos, articles, and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money, and you don't need to make an account to access the information. We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace, with each of the eight sections taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks, this is Carla Stevens-Tolstoy. Stand up, speak up. Reminding you to stand up and speak up for your beliefs.
with you to us nowhere you've been the past predicts the stay you're in the past you did and will not last and yes it was and it has all that I ask is keep those empty frames if no So I thought I would add a little surprise for the people that actually listened to the whole song at the end, and I would do a psychological test on you to see if you're a psychopath. Okay, so it's a story about a girl. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about the answer. While at a funeral of her mother, our girl met a guy she did not know. She thought this guy was amazing. So much her dream guy she believed him to be that she fell in love with him then and there. A few days later, the girl killed her own sister. Question, what is the motive in killing her sister? Okay, so it's going to be going through your brain. You've been thinking, okay, all these different, why would she kill her sister? So I'm just going to wait... Okay, well, the answer, if you're a psychopath, is that she was hoping the guy would appear at the funeral again. So apparently, if you answered like that, or if a friend of yours answered like that, they are a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Let me back up. Actually, that whole test is phony. You probably heard this test before. It's like a good test to do in a bar or to do when you're hanging out with friends, but it actually has no validity. It actually is just a purely made-up test that went viral. 
There is no way through one question you can tell if somebody is a sociopath. Because sociopaths or psychopaths, they possess the same problem skills that the rest of us do. So they're not, it's got no validity whatsoever. Once again, this is Carla Stevens Tolstoy. Thanks for listening. And, and think such a dark, deep thought because they're a psychopath. So that actually is just a fake test. So if anybody ever does that test on you, give them the answer that a psychopath would say just to freak them out.
I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.